0: everybody, welcome to a new episode of Repeater. My name is Evan. And I'm Pat. And with us today is musician, singer, member of the band MIPSO, Jacob Sharp.
1: Hey y'all, how's it going? Hey Jacob. welcome to you? the show. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back.
0: This is your second appearance. Yeah, definitely. that's right. Two in a month. Yeah. I know. You it's... got a
1: microphone this time. This is just our normal hang now. <laughs> our bi-weekly hang.
0: Yeah. We got to grab you while you're in town. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, we like to start off by talking about some music we've been listening to recently. Um, so, Pat, if you want to get us going.
2: Um, our episode with Amanda Joby mm-hmm. got me listening to very long songs again. So, I have been spending a t- lot of time listening to Godspeed, You Black Emperor, um, specifically the album Asunder, Sweet, and Other Distress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dramatic awesome kind of noisy and kind of pretty how long are we talking so this one is honestly shorter than most of theirs this one uh the longest song is 13 minutes and 50 seconds right on um this one's cool because the on the first side the song lamb's breath ends in just like a drone and on the vinyl record it ends in a locked groove Mm. so it ends in like this drone that's probably about two minutes but if you have the vinyl playing and you're not paying attention it could kind of go on forever sweet uh so it's fun because sometimes i catch myself like standing there listening to hear if i can hear like the record like like hitting the same beat i can't really i don't know how to describe it but sometimes you can hear it sometimes i like
0: Basically, Try. like, you mean on each, rev- like, revolution,
2: essentially? Yeah, like, you can kind of hear the drone restarting. Yeah. And, it
1: locks in. Yeah.
2: And, like, I never know if it's where it's locking in or if it's just still the oh, yeah. part oh, of the right. song. So I love that. Yeah, it's fun. Cool.
0: That is good. It's all screwy. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to, recently, a New York duo called Black and Blonde who are new to me, Um, but I know both members of them. It's a couple of guys from the New York comedy community actually started playing music together. And uh, one of their great songs is called You Are Freaking Me Out. And it's good, it's a good like little uh, kind of low key groovy tune. And um, they both sing on it and have very different voices, which I think is very cool. Um, I just love getting to hear people I know from doing one thing in life. These guys, I'm used to seeing them on stage being funny and now they're making like legit professional music that sounds great and it's uh it's very cool and like brings a smile to my face just to see that so they have a couple songs right now out on spotify and apple music at, like itunes and i think are going to be probably releasing singles like all year awesome until they probably put together an album
1: black and blonde? black and blonde
0: yeah very cool uh matt Ribano and brooks allison two cool. very cool guys yeah what about you, Jacob?
1: Well, on the train over here, I was listening to SZA. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that the way that you pronounce it? I believe so. Okay, that's the way I pronounce it yeah. too. Then <laughs> it's one of those artists that you know everyone's talking about, and I've heard singles from the album, but haven't really dug in. Mm-hmm. And I keep on people keep on bringing her up, and I was like, oh yeah, totally, I know that. And then I realized today, I was like, that's kind of a lie. Yeah. So I dove <laughs> in a bit more. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Nice. She. I felt like that way maybe a couple months ago. And then I was like, oh, I gotta just listen, and she's incredible. Yeah, that's I mean, really wild. There's a lot on that album for sure. It's really taken. And then she just did a couple. She did a couple late night performances right at the end of December, where she stripped them down, like orchestrated some of these songs in a way that was just different arrangements than what were on the album, and really were impressive.
1: The SNL one, I saw that one and was like, oh yeah, whoa, yeah, right on. Yeah, this she is,
0: rules. Yeah,
1: so that's me.
0: Yeah. What song did you want to talk about this evening?
1: I want to talk about Great Tide from Phil Cook's album, Southland Mission.
0: Cool. Let's give a little listen to it. Nice
1: little groove. Yeah. This Phil on lead guitar. And some... Oh, cool.
0: And vocals, I would assume, yeah? Yeah, You're sure. <laughs> Although
1: there's a lot of help that starts coming in. Cool.
0: Yeah, this is like a gathering wave of a a tune. Yeah.
1: Which is classic Phil Cook. He's he's a gatherer.
0: I like that. Sweeping up things kind of as he moves along forward, right?
1: For sure. I know
2: we've said it already, but this guitar tone is wonderful. Man,
1: one of the tone masters. Yeah, Yeah, it's incredible. Cool.
0: Well, there's a little taste for everybody. But it's a great song and uh, a great album. Yeah. what I've gathered so far. I've only given it a full through listen probably once, but that song I've listened to a bunch since you told me about it. Sweet. It's great. Um, So we're going to try to guess why you chose that song.
2: Okay. Cool. Cool. I think that you were a big Megaphone fan, and you went to one of their shows, and at their merch table they were selling this album. Like... They had all the megaphone stuff, but then also a couple of solo records. And you're like, I want to check this out. Bought it, found this song, and then got to this song, and just like, this is the best one on the album. Love That's, it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you did mention before the episode started that you know Phil. True. Um, <laughs> but before that, that was going to be a part of my guess. It was, I figured, because this is a pretty, it's from a couple years ago, right? It's relatively recent. I think recent.
1: two years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I figured that this was a fellow artist that you would have met out while playing shows and ended up with the album somehow, and it became a staple in touring. Like this this song, but this album would have just been thrown on in the van or the bus uh, on a very regular basis, and that was how this song came to settle itself in your life.
1: Okay, so you're both right in different ways. (laughs) When I'm from Morganton, North Carolina in the mountains, and when I moved to Chapel Hill for school... And started kind of diving into that music scene Megaphone was the first band i really latched onto. Mm-hmm. and for people who don't know Megaphone, totally amazing i guess people might say psych folk um or psych rock they kind of migrate between a lot of different worlds really naturally but learning about their music and then their music community was the reason i wanted to make music in the triangle of north carolina wow and since then on in my band mipso all of our recordings i think phil has been on in small ways mm. uh, and when this album came on, out he had before that he'd done something called um phil cook's feet i think um, and it was mainly kind of like piedmont blues style finger picking mm-hmm. and he would have occasional guests and some banjo stuff things that he did a lot during megaphone sets but didn't as fully explore and this one came out a couple of years after he started touring full-time with His Golden Messenger in a lead guitar and keys role. And also, maybe even more significantly, the year after he produced a Blind Boys of Alabama album. Mm. And yeah, it became the tour album of that season. Oh, yeah. For our band, and I think for a ton of bands, actually, everyone who, to know Phil is to totally love him and to love his music and to want to play music with him. <laughs> and this was just like such a huge full vision of everything phil does really well yeah and so it, it was this like celebration of this person and of mm-hmm. the community and the album is badass from start to finish
2: yeah that's awesome
1: it
0: sounds like yeah it's like that's the way to have them in the room all the time uh when you're excited about somebody and, and really respect somebody oh for sure Have that album
1: on yeah
0: that is yeah that's cool why why this song maybe specifically on this album
1: This one, so the album's called Southland Mission. Phil is from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, as are a number of really amazing musicians. And a number of those amazing musicians moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. about 12 years ago. And they kind of have described it in different ways and in different places as like, there was a glass ceiling they felt to Eau Claire. Mm -hmm. And I think that like Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Chicago, all those scenes were so defined by Mm -hmm. Wisconsin musicians that they wanted having toured for a number of years to land somewhere where they could be separate from that but also still benefit. And they kind of randomly picked the triangle because of the record labels and the venues they knew and came and for all of them in different ways started this process of digging into Southern music of tons of varieties. Yeah. And this, Southland Mission, is like a review of Southern music. And I think this song highlights some of those like further corners of the different genres mm-hmm. really well in a, like yeah. a singular song. And also, the moment we listen to it has, like, classic, like, vamp, uh, almost, like, gospel chorus, like, mm-hmm. R- like, R&B, almost, vamp, mm-hmm. gospel chorus, blues, guitar, that amazing tone. It's like, it is a case study of why yeah. some of those musics are so cool.
0: Yeah, it is. It, it definitely felt that way listening to it, um, trying to hit all the touchstones, mm-hmm. as it were, in a cool way. That's really interesting that... Um, Wisconsin musicians would come down, come down to the triangle like that. Especially as you point out, it's like, yeah, there are those pretty established cities up north that have really great scenes. Mm -hmm. And the, yeah, to deliberately really want to stretch out and do something a little bit different is cool.
1: It is cool. And I think it's why for a lot of those musicians, they've had these like that. I mean, that's over a decade ago that they all came have Mm -hmm. had these really intense personal and collective journeys into like honing in on what they all do best
0: has the and you're saying that they kind of got into maybe more southern music more so than maybe they were playing back home has that uh have you has it been able have you been able to see that kind of like as they've been down there
1: yeah the music i mean change I and, think or ebb and
0: flow rather rather than change
1: phil would probably say that he's been listening to blues his whole life and that's always been his like home music mm-hmm. from a study perspective um and where he's been grounded but you know i think about it a lot because as a southerner often i think that especially as a white male southerner there are times of like this identity crisis of wanting to take pieces of music that are like ours but not like really Mm -hmm. that's the black southern communities music Mm -hmm. um and you can get a little bit in your head about that but what's amazing especially about phil is that he does all of it so well is ingrained in all those communities and maybe because he started out as a Non-Southerner, and now mm-hmm. it's fully Southern by. <laughs> but I think maybe because he isn't coming from a place where you experience that um, complexity, like in your childhood, uh, of what it means to operate in between or totally separate from these various communities, uh, he's able to just like know it and nail it yeah. without the the problematizing that I think me and my family yeah. would do, because yeah. we would right. feel at different points uncomfortable right or like we needed to reconcile or acknowledge something um and i think that's maybe less of your gut reaction if you didn't grow up in the south yeah in what it what i hope is really positive way and with this album is definitely an amazing thing
0: yeah now that makes me think about mipso especially um you guys have you know gr- grown and whatnot over the years and mm-hmm. are branching out and i'd love to kind of ask about that a bit but also as a starting point i mean you guys started as a bluegrass trio yeah yeah for sure and, and, and kind of by accident kind of by accident so yeah how did the i mean how did the group start you guys were in college right? yeah we
1: were in school and we all played music but nobody had been in a band or thought they would be in a band in a significant way but we loved music mainly from a concert going perspective like mm-hmm. we were fans of music and it's mm-hmm. North an amazing place to be a music fan because there's all these bands that are based there and everybody stops through the cat's cradle's been this like a mm-hmm. hallmark venue for 30 plus years in chapel hill so it's just like ingrained on people that they stop there so you get to see this amazing stuff and we were doing that together and started riding together and um over the course of our college years it became like the money generating job offer that was non-existent outside of it, ironically. So we graduated with degrees and hopped in a tour van. Um, and we initially d- like didn't know what kind of music we wanted to make, but had certain ingredients on the table and decided to make a Bluegrass record first. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost more, it's just like, cool, we need a foundation. Let's just pick one and, and try and learn that. And it was really important because from a songwriting perspective and as like new band members, Bluegrass is great for having really clearly delineated roles and types of songs uh and so we like that was our study uh and that first album did really well and so then all of a sudden we were like a billboard bluegrass band we were like oh shit (laughs) now people really are going to want this from us so then we wanted to do it better which meant that we dove further i think right uh before we started realizing, realizing like oh that's bluegrass is amazing and a big part of all of our like musical foundation, but not the centerpiece of it. Yeah. And so since then, it's been this really natural to us feeling like recorrection of that right. compass.
0: Yeah, but I can understand that pressure being there once you have been defined and successful within a given genre to then have to step outside of it. But knowing from your perspective that it's been there that whole time.
1: Totally. Yeah, yeah it's it's kind of funny. And it's it's one of those times too where... Uh, especially, like, people talk all the time about how the music industry is tough right now, and, like, that's true, but I also, it's always been tough, so I don't know why we talk <laughs> about it more now. But uh, there's, we get tons of feedback from people who used to book us who are like, oh, well, you don't fit in here anymore. And drums. so, it's, yeah, it's like, <laughs> and which is, like, right on. Cool. Yeah. If If you want to define your world in that way, do it, and we'll happily be a part of somebody else's. But it's been, for us, a fun problem. It's always, like, uh, it's a song first thing so it's like okay here's what we wrote here's this variety of ways you could effectively like package it from a arrangement instrumental perspective and our thing is always what's the most emotionally like transcendent and responsible way of, of doing it and yeah. we don't care if that means that it's a Rhodes organ or a banjo playing whatever role needs yeah. to be played
2: so when you take a song and you have the arrangement uh-huh. and like you know that you can do it in a couple different ways or like or maybe not, like you just arrange it in a certain way and it comes out and it has that emotional resonance. Do you ever catch yourself thinking like, do you ever notice your influences sort of seeping in? Totally. And does it ever like surprise you?
1: Um, I think it will surprise the writers most because, you know, we're in so many, not just in music everywhere. You're like, influenced by things subliminally all the time and we're we try and surround ourselves by really high quality things and so i hope that we are picking up pieces of them uh but you it's amazing how quickly you can separate uh the creative inspiration from the next genesis you know like Mm -hmm. uh, a hook line that you might have heard somewhere forgotten about for four weeks and then one morning like hung over on your guitar put new lyrics to it, and you're like oh man i'm amazing listen to that line and then you write a whole song and you're like hey and you feel really confident that it's authentically yours and yeah. then you know two months later in the studio somebody's like oh dude you know that was on xx album and you're like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> so in that yeah. moment especially i think that also in the studio we like to for our producers to have a big imprint on us And all of our producers have, especially um, the last three albums, come from really different worlds. And so we go to them hoping that that influence will be there and obvious Mm -hmm. and try and welcome it as much as we can.
0: Yeah. What are those worlds that those producers have come from?
1: The first two albums that we did, the first two full length albums, I guess, Mm -hmm. were um, with uh, Andrew Marlin from Inland Orange, who's a great songwriter and rooted in bluegrass and old time, I would say. Uh, And his band is probably fits more into like the Gillian Welch side of the folk world than the bluegrass side, Mm -hmm. but he's really well versed in all of it and plays mandolin at an incredibly high level as well as guitar um, and most other instruments. But so those albums, we benefited from like that broader approach to string band world from him. Uh, Our most recent album coming down the mountain actually Phil's brother produced Brad, Mm. Who's the bass player and guitar player from Megaphone, and has played bass with like Sharon Van and done stuff with Justin Vernon, and mm-hmm. he's been all over that world. But he and and Phil too kind of pull from like the great American traditions of of songs from early folk to jazz to Grateful Dead. You know, like that's where their understanding of that energy came from. But we went to him really specifically to flesh out. um, the tunes with percussion and, and focus on like a different style of groove, Mm -hmm. things that we wanted to do better than we were and thought that he would help with. And he did. And then the most recent album that we'll be announcing in like a week is with Todd Sikafoos, who's a um, jazz bassist and has for 15 years been the touring member of Ani DeFranco's band. Hmm. So with this next album for us is like dark and spacey. Um, in a big way we recorded it in eugene oregon in january so it's you know that had an impact (laughs) Uh, and yeah we we wanted from him maybe an understanding of like finding in that spaciness uh meaning that we were like struggling to pinpoint on our own
0: yeah that sounds like I mean, it sounds like a really healthy way for bands to approach working together. Kind of everything you just described, whether it's that ability to separate the, you know, the initial idea of a song from the final product, mm-hmm. and the intentionality behind bringing in someone that is going to kind of help you do that and do it in a way that is fairly pointed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I ho- I hope so. It's it's inter- It's hard to be in a, I mean, in y'all's world too. I, I bet you see creative collaborative democracies are, like, really tough. Yeah. Yeah, Because egos are huge, and you're not certain what, like, the path to success is or even what the path to just being happy and satisfied and fulfilled by what Mm -hmm. you're making is. Um, And for us, we've found confidence in, like, trusting ourselves and each other and by continually surrounding ourselves by people who we respect and admire and think are, in whatever way, better than us. Yeah. Uh, And if I think that's, like, you can't go wrong maybe right yeah Yeah. even if it's not understood or received as well i think that you'll be happy from that process and from that growth
2: yeah it's worth accepting that exploration that comes with sort of being open to new ideas or just different ideas
1: totally to like yeah and our you know our world it's funny too because we're talking about records but for most musicians right now the centerpiece of your world is live shows and touring and Um, that's where the vast vast majority of like money is and also just keeping momentum building and like connecting with fans and uh fans of music and that's what we want to do and like doing and i think that we're fully aware like most people are that if you do the same type of show and the same type of genre and that exploration 150 times a year becomes old kind of quickly yeah and all these new all these new people like show us shed light on an area that a corner that like we wanted to get to, you know. Yeah. And so now this our little like square room is suddenly an octagon, and we're like, fuck yeah.
2: Do you ever find that like, especially going from writing a song on the couch to the studio, that must be like a huge uh, creative process in and of itself. But do you ever find that like when you take a song out on the road, maybe for like a year, or two years, or however long, that that song grows and like all of a sudden takes on a new meeting
1: for sure uh both grows in how does it, it it's performed and thought of like the energy we give to it that happens almost immediately we play so few songs like they were recorded because normally they were you know maybe somebody wrote it in the year to two months ahead of getting in the studio the band hears it during a week of rehearsals and then shelves it a producer makes an imprint and then you play it kind of raw which is, I think, good. And then you have like a year before it comes out, six months to a year before it comes out where you're wanting to play it. And then two months of playing it poorly in front of crowds. <laughs> and so during that whole process, you realize that maybe the strengths you initially saw um, aren't as resonant as you hoped, but yeah. there's these other moments that are. So yeah, we've, we've changed grooves. We've changed the lyrics. Mm. And, I, and we want to do that. We like every couple months have a heart-to-heart with songs where we're like, what are you, what's going good for you right now? <laughs> so uh, That's yeah. really cool. It, and which is fun. It, yeah. it makes it... It's funny to see the difference because so many people come to a show for the first time just based on what they heard on Spotify. Yeah. And so it can be funny when then their first uh, live impression of that, like the 3D version of what they've been interacting with, is so far from what they thought was final and, in, and firmly imprinted. Yeah. Uh, that's a funny reaction to read, but I I think in general we have a pretty giving audience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always like when
2: I go and see a band and it's a little different mm-hmm. or a little off. Like I went and saw a band and the guitarist relied heavily on a looping pedal. Uh. And he just like got the loop off at one point. Like it was a beat off. It wasn't too bad, but like it was still kind of like this fun little moment of like, yeah, that wasn't perfect. Totally. This is people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I love going to big, well-produced shows, and, like, yeah. and going to big pop shows. That spectacle is amazing. But you do wonder, when it's choreographed so firmly, what's really happening. Like, is, are, people, are you being entertained, or are you being challenged by what, yeah. what's being produced in front of you? You know, mm-hmm. And I love bands that, every night, are a little insecure in how mm-hmm. it is that they're repurposing these songs. And, the, and when you're aware of that in the audience, I think that's a really cool show because yeah, it feels like a risk totally it is i it mean when, like for everybody yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that's like that conversation of it that makes me go back to shows all the time is thinking like oh yeah this doesn't make it wouldn't make sense for all these people and this whole crew to be here if, if we weren't here too so we should like lean into it from both sides i yeah, like that yeah. part of it
0: there was this great moment a handful of years ago i saw first aid kit um which is you know a fairly acoustic band mm-hmm. but has like a band now and everything and They're playing the music hall at Williamsburg. And it was one of these things where I believe before they played a song, they said, they had said that the previous night something was wrong with the audio. And so they, they actually didn't have like any onstage audio for a song. And so they asked everyone, they they had asked everyone just get really quiet and they sang the song acoustically in a pretty big venue. Yeah. And so they, then they asked us if we could just do it again tonight. And even though it was like this recreation of a really spontaneous moment, getting an entire hall like that to shut up (laughs) and really listen to two people just play acoustic guitar and sing was a really beautiful and cool moment. And to know that it wasn't totally contrived, that it was like, it's like, oh, this actually was a mistake last night and they just realized how great it was. So now they
1: want to recreate that feeling. That's awesome. And it was really cool. We've noticed that, we do most nights. We'll do a moment around a condenser microphone, mm-hmm. where we unplug and like take out the ear monitors and make our drummer leave for a couple minutes. And I think to a lot of our fans, it seems like a nod back to our origin, which is cool. But to us, it's a way of re like dialing in that conversation part of the show of like because yeah, especially like at Music Hall Vengeance where those shows are normally rowdy that type of club and this type of city be like people are there to drink and have a great time. And and that's awesome. But I think that you can get a bit beyond why it is that everybody showed up from, from both sides of the equation. Yeah. And those moments can be really great challenges of like, how far are you willing to go? Cause maybe we can go there too.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I
0: was going to ask too how taking to the road contributes to that conversation about expanding your influences and expanding you know, how the band grows and, uh, especially musically, but obviously you're doing a lot of intentional things with producers and mm-hmm. just with your own influences. Um, and I wonder, yeah, cause the lineups you're playing are different, you know, than they were years ago and the, the places you're playing and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, part of it, kind of like I was saying earlier, when you, we are now five years into averaging, I think 160 shows a year. So, we want people to like be emotionally impacted every night, and I think that if you are on stage aren't, no, people pick up on that. Yeah. yeah. So part of it's just like a natural challenge of like, hey, we need to grow and be excited, and if, and sometimes to feel vulnerable, like to be playing an instrument that isn't your best, mm-hmm. or whatever. That even something as small as that can change how it is that you approach a tour and stay engaged. But there are tons of like. Even just like technical production tricks you learn like in a big our biggest shows and our loudest crowds will start the PA um, between five and ten decibels lower than what our like ideal volume is because people feel uncomfortable when they're from the get-go talking over a crowd yeah. they don't feel uncomfortable at the end of a show talking over a, a crowd talking over a PA, but they do at the beginning, and if you can make people uncomfortable, then you can bring the PA up afterwards there's like those little mm-hmm. things where mm-hmm from a technical side we totally play a game with the audience it, based on what you can read ahead of it right uh, or what you know from the last time you played <laughs> that room but yeah it's, it's it's like a moving equation all the time of, of, of what it is that makes us happy and makes our crowds happy too because we're not immune from like wanting to please people i think that's a big part of why we play music yeah <laughs> and yeah. wanting to connect with people you know yeah it's like, of
0: course well and in that in that light um what's it been like, what's, uh, what's your experience been like getting to know and be part of the musician community in the various, I guess, you know, genres of tours that you've been a part of? Because obviously um, coming today with a song like from someone within that community, I'm just curious, you know.
1: Yeah, it, it's amazing. The touring community is so tight. I, th- I think a lot about how like my favorite music and musicians made music together and often in the same place. Mm-hmm. and, like, the idea of a Laurel Canyon scene happening again is pretty far-fetched, and, like, I think the Triangle of North Carolina has an amazing music scene, but the reality is that these bands who really love and learn from each other all the time when they're home are on the road the majority of the year and at alternating times, so you see each other more frequently, like, I don't know, in Milwaukee than you do at your favorite <laughs> local <laughs> bar, which is a funny th- thing um but i think that it's created this like diaspora effect within the music Mm -hmm. community of how it is that you interact um musically and and not and still try and like be present with one another and that's been for us probably one of the more rewarding things is feeling like we're have been accepted by a community and also are creating our own Mm -hmm. of these people that you meet at shows or at a recording session or even like so frequently you like walk into a radio station and somebody else's session just ended and you like trade albums and then see each other at a festival six months later and have a beer and all of a sudden you have this like new lifelong buddy who you've just admired from afar forever yeah and certainly for us as as we tour now and play with bands that often it's just like manager to manager pieces together tour those relationships become can be really fulfilling but then especially when it's like we're about to do a tour with ben so lee do you guys know mm-hmm. him a um cellist from Kentucky, amazing cool. songwriter who I remember seeing for the first time like 9 years ago at this venue that like 5 after 5 years after that we played but mm-hmm. at the time was the it was like Carnegie Hall for a North Carolina musician yeah. going to Memorial Hall to see this thing and just being floored by this dude mm-hmm. and then years later like meet him and be like have this tour idea and then a year and a half after that now we're about to set off on the road for a week and a half of like wow. doing shows and collaborating that type of thing is just super cool and, yeah. and magical. And for my group, like none of us thought we were going to play music full time. So there is this certain serendipity to most of these circumstances. Yeah, not like falling in our lap because we do work hard. And now that once we got into it, we realized what was possible and like how to make that happen, maybe. But are super aware that we should be present and grateful that this is the world we're living in.
0: Yeah. That uh, reminds me of, I may have mentioned this on the show previously, but one of the best concert experiences I've ever had was, it was a co-headlining tour with the David Rawlings Machine and Old Crow Medicine oh, Show. Sweet. And the openers were, actually, I actually never know how to say the name, Felice Brothers, Felice Brothers, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think it's Felice. Felice Brothers and Justin Towns Earl was the other opener. Far out. And I've never seen a whole show like, first opener to second headliner that was having a better time together. <laughs> and you just got the notion and it was at house of blues boston like a pretty big yeah. corporate venue and um you you just got this idea the whole time that they were having a party on that tour yeah because even starting with justin's set somebody would run out and like play one song with him from one of the other acts and then go back and somebody else from another act would come out and play another song i love that and even to the point where during maybe the Felice Brothers set or something like that, like another opener, you could see somebody come in about halfway through the first verse of a song, and it had this appearance, and I'm just guessing, of like somebody sitting backstage, sipping on a beer, realizing they were playing a song that they loved and grabbing their guitar to run out and play <laughs> with them. In, like, yeah. Truly, you just be like, I got to get in there. I love doing that song with them. And the whole night, every set, including the end of the show. The end of the show had almost everybody who was a part of the show out there with old crow that night. And it was just, uh, it, the idea that they were having a good time and that they
1: liked each other
0: just resonated across the whole audience.
1: I think it was so cool. That's awesome. We just came off of a nationwide triple bill. Um, that, that was the vibe we were aiming for every night. Yeah. Like each night, some bands played in different orders Uh, Mm -hmm. guests would come out there's like random condenser sets where the whole bands would like guest with each other and then all three bands encoring and that was what every night we were trying to go for but so hard to do (laughs) on a nightly basis yeah Yeah. and yeah but it's I agree with you those are my favorite shows too is like when you're really seeing something of like love and joy being kind of spontaneously produced in front of you yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well going back to Phil Phil is one of my favorite performers with anybody and he plays with a ton of my favorite bands but also when he's the band leader he inspires joy more quickly in a crowd than almost anyone I know and you can't it's totally infectious you can't watch Phil Cook play music without like wanting to be there with him and egg him on kind of and I remember one of the first times seeing that and being like oh man I want to find something in my life that I attack in that way that he's doing music. And he's like that offstage too. Yeah. He's always playing, always trying to help somebody figure out their idea. Yeah. And it's one of, I think, especially right now where it's like everything we read and think about pushes us further from each other. Yeah. The best shows of any regard, comedy or theater, or music, bring a whole crowd of strangers together yeah. and more towards a point of joy than they were when they walked in. And that's a beautiful thing yeah it
2: must be nice to just have this record to just be in the van or on your phone or whatever just on a record yeah because so sort of transitively get that vibe
1: for sure which like what more transcendent and beautiful thing could you have done than permanently placed in the world the ability for anybody who finds it to be transported to that place it's so wild
0: yeah I think that's a great place to stop. Yeah. Jacob, thanks so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you guys. Yeah. Good to see you. Um, Yeah, for anybody out there listening, um, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review and subscribe if you can. Um, Tell a friend. Tell
2: many friends.
0: Get people in on the party. Yeah. And also, uh, please do listen to MIPSO, uh, Jacob's band. They are excellent. Thank you. And uh, aside from maybe keeping up with MIPSO, is there any way that people keep up with what you're up to personally or is
1: you know, Mips is probably the best, the best way. way. We're, I feel like we're either on the road or about to be on it again. So if you <laughs> want to find me, you can come pretty close with that website.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, you guys will be hitting the road this year, of course.
1: Yeah, we have a new album coming out early April, and we'll be doing a full nationwide tour those a couple months around that, and then festivals all over. Very somewhere. excited for that. Awesome. It's going to be fun.
0: So yeah, please go see them. Uh, Thanks everybody for listening. Jacob, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Until next time.
1: Hit repeat. Repeater is hosted by Evan Ford-Barden and Patrick Cartelli. This episode was recorded at Magnet Training Center in New York City, where they offer classes in improv, musical improv, sketch writing, storytelling, and more. Find out more at magnettheater.com. Visit us online at repeater.show for live dates, hot music tips, and
2: show archives. Theme music by the Sun Lions. Everything else by Love Nest Productions. Welcome to Repeater.